like you and I, that were his enemies. He chose, according to his own will, to do so. In Ephesians 1, in verse 9, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It was God's purpose to love lost and helpless sinners. He chose according to his own will to do so. God's expression and manifestation of his love was according to his own sovereign will. You know, in that, that passage in Ephesians 1, three times it's mentioned the good pleasure of his will. And so God manifested his love towards us according to 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this was manifested, think about that, in this was manifested the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son into the world. I like what uh, John says in 1 John 1, just a few uh, chapters before that. If you uh, just turn the page. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes, with, with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Think about the importance and think about the excitement in the heart of John, the writer, as he writes this. The reality of it. And look at John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew, knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this. We know that when, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself as he is pure. The, the reality, the, the, the excitement where he talks about eternal life. And here it says in, in 1 John 1, uh, verse um, 4, I mean, 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, uh, He sent His begotten Son of the world that we might live through Him. You see, and here in, in 1 John 3, He's describing that life and that eternal life and that reunion that we'll have with the Father uh, and see Him face to face. And, and what joy. You know, when we talk about the love of God manifested unto us, when, when, when John, the same writer, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He so loved. He's trying to say, look at the magnitude of the love of God towards hopeless, dead sinners. And he says this, towards us. He says this, towards us, right here in this passage. The, and this was manifested, that marvelous and, and, and all-surpassing love of God it was towards us. Understand our condition. Hopelessly lost, 
dead sinners might live, those who deserve only death and that eternal death, an eternal judgment of God. As, as Thomas Boston writes in, in our bulletins, what a wonderful quote from Thomas Boston, uh, that they, they, they deserve only uh, eternal death till they pay the utmost farthing. It would take eternity to pay the debt that we owe. Hopelessly lost, dead sinners, condemned, and that they might live. The question is, did Christ come into the world to make salvation possible then? How can people think that? How can people even think that? Did he come into the world just, just to make salvation possible so, so that all people with their human ability might see him and might believe? That would be humanly impossible because the word of God teaches there is none who seek God. Not even one. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, not even one, he says, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And that passage is, 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 is preaching that man is spiritually dead, and they are spiritually discerned. So you have a dead creature who, who cannot possibly discern the things of the Spirit of God. Man lost all human ability in the fall when Adam died spiritually and all mankind with him. When it says that for all has sinned, that means all sin when Adam sinned. Not that all sin later, obviously that's true, but all sin when he sinned. God imputed the sin of Adam to all mankind. Wherefore, as by one man sinned into the world, the Bible says, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have for that all have sinned a man cannot believe when he's dead what he needs is life what he needs is life and with that life regeneration is the word when that life regener or that regeneration comes life comes repentance comes faith all these are gifts from god birthday gifts if you please the, at the new birth christ told nicodemus you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. So it would make no sense for God to come to the world only to make salvation possible for dead people who are completely unable to see it. Lost man wants to make salvation to come by works, right? Because if, if I can add just a little of my human effort into my salvation, a little of my human ability, that would make salvation subject to boasting, wouldn't it? And boasting is excluded, the Bible says. Man could glory in his own salvation if that were true. No, no, no. Christ paid all of salvation. He, so he saves sovereignly. He's not waiting on man who can do nothing to save himself. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.28, Things which, which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And according to, that, according to that is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He's quoting from Jeremiah, where he said, uh, where he says, uh, "Thus saith the Lord: Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom; uh, let not the mighty man glory in his might; let not the rich man glory in his riches." Our scripture here today says that 
This is love. This is love manifested that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That life that starts for you at the point where God saves your soul and never ends and was ordained from eternity because if your name was written in the book of life, your name was written there from eternity. That, that love was manifested to us. Matthew, the gospel writer, can answer the question of who it is that he's referring to here. Who would live? Because the scripture is all in agreement on this. Amen. Who would live? Matthew says, his people. The angel told Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Those whom the father gave to the son from all eternity. The angel told Joseph that. And here in the, in the context of the book of John, we, we would live through him. We are those who have seen and heard in 1-1, right? We are those uh, little children in 2-1, brethren in 2-7, little children in 2-12 and 18 and many other places, and children of God in 3-1, and beloved in 4-1, the immediate context, beloved of God, beloved, those that he loves. Those that he set his love upon. This is all about Christ. Church, redeem sinners, the children of God. Elsewhere, John, the same writer says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned. You see, that's why he came not to condemn the world. That would be a useless task. The world stands condemned already. He came to save those of the world that he chose. The same thought is here, only stated another way. The concept of the word world in John's writing is a people from among all nations. He comments editorially on this in John 11 when he speaks of Caiaphas, who actually prophesied, interestingly enough. He spake, that, uh, he spake this, he, Caiaphas, spake this, not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation and not for that nation only, but that, he all, that, but, but that also he would gather together in one the children of God scattered abroad. The children of God scattered abroad. And so John reveals in Revelation 5, 9, same author again, this concept of the world, it says, and they sung a new song. And, and this is worship, isn't it? Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So let's look at the coming of the Son of, of, the Son of God into the world where he says also in another place, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14. But let's look at this coming of the Son of Man into the world. Uh, when the Bible speaks of the coming of Messiah, that's the central message of the word of God. In fact, it's a book about Christ. It's a hymn book, as our pastor says. Let's see what the word of God says about his coming in other places because we can be sure there's a set purpose clearly defined on the subject, the focal point of human history. First of all, Christ Jesus came 
into the world. Our Lord came into the world as a willing servant of Jehovah. Psalm 40, where he says in verse 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written unto me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. He came as a servant of Jehovah. As he's described in Isaiah 42 also, Behold my servant, my uphold, my elect, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delighteth. In the gospel, the actual voice of God confirmed it. My beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. He was a servant for life. He was a servant for life and for love of his master. Just like the Old Testament example of a bond servant who decided to mark his ears, who decided to, to that he would become a servant for life. He said, I will not go out uh, and just take my family and leave with what I have. I will stay here and I will serve my master and, and I will be a servant for life. That's, that's just a paraphrase of that, of that uh, idea in Exodus. But, but he said, he, he, he called for them to mark his ears and uh, to, to, they would take an awl and they would, and they would uh, open his ears and that's why he says in Psalm 40, Thou hast opened my ears. I'm a servant for life. It's not my hearing that he was talking about. He said, I'm a willing servant. He says, Thy law is within my heart. Thou hast opened my ears. I'm a servant of Jehovah for life, for life and for eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ said he was a willing servant. I'll delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. He lived every step dependent upon the Father. I always do what pleases my Father, he said. John 5.30 says this, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. In John 14.10, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Once in the village of Sychar in Samaria, he was tired out from much ministry, and he sat on Jacob's well in John 4.31. His disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore saith the disciples unto him, Hath any man brought him anything or aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, My food, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And to finish his work. That's when his servanthood ended. He finished the work that the Father had given me to do. He completed the work and now is exalted at the right hand of God. That work is finished. That work of saving his own. Not my will, but thine be done, he saith in Gethsemane as he wrestled with the, the thought of being separated from his father. Not my will, he said, but thine be done. He won that battle, didn't he? 
when he said it is finished on the cross, he was declaring the fact that he had completed the work for which his father had sent him to do into the world. He obeyed completely to the point of death. As the willing servant, he pleased the father by obeying and dying for the sins of his people. Let's think on that for a minute. Referring to Isaiah 42 again, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. In verse 21, it says, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. He will magnify the law. He came to establish a perfect and eternal righteousness that he gives to all the people that he saves. It was a righteousness that he earned by obeying the law completely in our stead. We who broke all of God's laws and broke them all of our lives. The wicked go estranged from the womb, speaking lies. We're sinners and born that way. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. We broke all of God's laws, but Christ Jesus is my righteousness. He obeyed them completely. And our, we have an imputed righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I like this one. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me in the robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself in her jewels, we have on that robe of Christ's righteousness. The Lord doesn't look at our sins. The Lord looks at his righteousness that was given unto us. That's a marvelous thought. Jeremiah 23, verse 6. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell in safety. And this is his name where he shall be called. This is the name where you and I are called. The Lord, our righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the incarnation of our Lord, he came as bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, to be made like unto sinful flesh, yet without sin, in order to die a perfect sacrifice and to live, liberate us from Satan's captivity, according to Hebrews 2. It says, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death of every man, for every man. And then in verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children, that's what he's referring to, those children. Those children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He made an open show of principalities and powers on the cross. They thought they had the victory. They thought they had him where they wanted him. And he made an open show of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross, Colossians says. So not only was Christ a willing servant to obey completely the Father's will and establish a perfect justifying righteousness for needy, dead sinners like myself, who were condemned. Also, he was sent into the world that we might live through him who paid it all. That we might live through one who paid it all as a surety of the covenant of grace. 
Hebrews 7.22 says this, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, a better covenant. covenant. And he's referring, comparing that to the law of that better covenant through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You know, you see, it's so much better than the law because it's, it, for one thing, because it's by blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's everlasting from eternity past to eternity future. These scriptures tell of Christ our Lord that through the eternal covenant, by his shed blood, and by his eternal unchangeable priesthood, he is our surety. That means that he is no hope-so savior. He is no savior that saves uh, if you'll let him save. He's no wannabe savior. He is a savior who saves sovereignly those whom the Father has given unto him. He saves from eternity past to, the, to eternity future and ever lives to make intercession for us. He saves to the uttermost, the Bible says, all those who come to God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's a surety. A surety, by definition, is one who drew near and struck hands with the Father as the God-man mediator and ratifier of that covenant. The Lord possessed me the Bible says, in the beginning of his way, before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. And in Zechariah 6, he says, uh, and speaking of, uh, unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. That's our Lord. The branch, all capitals. And he says, He shall grow up out of his place. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, his church. And he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace or the covenant of grace or the eternal covenant of peace shall be between them both. The Lord established that. He, he ratified it with his blood. Our Lord told his disciples, Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter had confessed through divine revelation, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and that, was, that was the rock that he was referring to, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, upon the rock of himself, shall I build my church. And same thing referring to there. Uh, he shall build the temple of the Lord. That means that he paid all that his people owed. A surety is not a cosigner. A surety is not a guarantor uh, that, that if you or I could not pay, then he would come in and he would uh, put his money down. Oh, no. He's one who pays all of those in the covenant. And what they owe, he paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If our Lord Jesus would not or could not have redeemed all those that were given unto him and set them before the Father in eternity, he would have bear the, bore the blame forever. In Genesis 43, in the story of Jacob, Benjamin, and Judah... Judah and the other nine brothers had returned from seeing the prince of Egypt 
who unbeknownst to them was their own brother who they had sold into slavery years and years earlier. And uh, Judah and uh, uh, Jacob did not want to let Benjamin go. They, the, that prince of Egypt said, don't come back if you don't bring Jacob, uh, don't bring Benjamin, your youngest, with you. Jacob did not want to let him go. But Judah stepped up and said, I will be a, a surety for him. He said, I'll be a surety for him. Look back in, in uh, uh, 43rd chapter of Genesis right quick. I don't want to misquote this. His saying that he said, 43rd chapter of Genesis. In verse 9, it was because of Jacob's objection of, of sending uh, Benjamin with, with the other uh, ten brothers to go back, and he said in verse 9, uh, I will be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him, if I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. That's the strength of a surety, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the surety of that covenant of grace. If he could not or would not have brought all of his elect to God, he would have bore the blame forever. Thank God for that promise in Isaiah. He shall not fail. Amen. He shall not fail or be discouraged until he hath set judgment on the earth. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thy hand and give thee for a covenant unto the people. And as I said, he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save. He shall save. Not want to save. Not possibly save. Not make a way. But by his own blood he entered into once in the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. I lay my life down for the sheep, he said. And he has said in another place in Hebrews 10, For by one offering hath he perfected forever those that are sanctified, those that are sanctified. Oh, my friends, look at that suffering surety on the cross in Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Isaiah, look, look at Isaiah 53, verse 10 quickly. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You see, the justification was based upon the fact that those iniquities were born by the surety. Those iniquities were already paid for and could never be asked of again, could never be judged again because they were judged upon the cross. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It was soul travail. It wasn't just body travail. And that leads me to my last point, and that is in 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for, for our sins. Propitiation is a sacrifice that makes peace between enemies. The natural man is enmity with God. The natural mind is enmity with God. We cannot be, we're not subject to the, God, to, to the laws of God, neither can we be because of the enemy, in, enemy uh, I'm thinking of a Spanish word, of the, the, uh, of the enmity that we have, the enmity that we have between us and God. But the word of God says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his, himself a ransom for all, for all those he would redeem. It says not that we love God, not that we love God and that he reciprocated some way by, by uh, reciprocated the affection by, by sending his son into a world who, who wanted a further revelation and manifestation of God. As many think about the Christmas season, they look at a baby in a manger as a gift of his love. No, my friends, he gave his life. He came to a, to, to a world who hated him. He came as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came to be abused and mistreated and spit upon to a world that hated him. We will not have this man to reign over us, they said. And that is with many here today. We hated God. We worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, the Bible says. This world by and large is a world of idolaters especially when they look in the mirror and they have the idolatry of that person that they see. But the Bible says he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Luke Luke describes it this way. The day spring from on high has visited us. The day spring from on high has visited us to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Oh, what a marvelous verse is that. The day spring came, and we celebrate that during this time, don't we? We're, we're, we're mindful of that. To him who loved us and who washed us from our sins in his own blood, the Bible says. What was between us and himself, he took out of the way by, by giving up his most precious one, his darling son, the only one who could offer the perfect atoning sacrifice for his sins, for our sins. The only one who could be the perfect propitiation for our sins that would placate God's wrath and satisfy his justice, that which we will never satisfy. It only can be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. That justice, he will never compromise. He'll never uh, be like the unjust judge that would just turn his, his face and let that criminal enter in or let that criminal free or let that sinner into glory and God just look the other way. That would be, comprom- that would be putting ju- God like an unjust judge. No, he set all of our sins upon the sinless one upon the propitiation that would placate his wrath and satisfy his justice. So look in closing to one passage, Romans chapter 3. 
speaking about how he set all of his sins, all of our sins, excuse me, sometimes I'm trying to do one thing and I misspeak. Romans chapter 3, put all of our sins upon the sinless Savior and surety and propitiation for our sins. Look at Romans 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past in the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just, He will never compromise his justice and let one sinner into heaven by turning his head and ignoring the sinner's rebellion. And, it says here, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. If you've trusted in, in, in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then lay down your arms of rebellion and trust in the only one. Trust in his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Christ, it's faith that God has given you. If God has granted you faith and repentance, then Christ is your mercy seat. Christ is your propitiation. Another meaning for propitiation is that mercy seat, a place where God and the sinner meet at the feet of of his cross. Like the song says, there is room at the cross for you today. For he's full of mercy to all who come by him. He that cometh unto me, he says, I will in no wise cast out. And he goes on to say one of the greatest invitations in the word of God to a lost sinner. And he says that to you today. He says that to you today. He says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. And he's talking about being heavy laden with your sins. Because he says you'll find soul rest. He's talking about being heavy laden, not by your work, not by your daily toil. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with your sins. And he says, I will give you rest. And he says, rest unto your soul. Soul rest. For my soul, my faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. He is our propitiation who sacrificed himself and satisfied the justice of God on our behalf. And he set him forth before a lost and dying world. He set him forth to save those whom he would grant his repentance and faith. Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless, The song says, Jesus' blood can make you clean. For he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. This I know. Oh, yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Come to Christ today. Thank you.